Welcome back to the Legionnaire Podcast, Week Two, Cal. I'm your week host, two. Will, joined yet again with my brother and co-host Callahan. Callahan, I'm going by my first name, full first name. It's a really cool name. It's not yeah. like a knight from the round table, I guess. I never really used my first name up until now. Everybody calls me Cal, but it's like I feel like I want to use my full name. I like my full name. It's a fun name, Callahan. But we, uh, it's just us two again on the podcast. No guests yet. We're still working us. on that, but we're just a, a clan of two. The clan of two. Almost like it's something from something we watch and we really like. It's and almost like it's from uh, The Mandalorian. It's almost like because it is from The Mandalorian. Yeah. I, I remember seeing that it was at the end of season one of the Mandalorian and when mm-hmm. the armor was talking with Mando and her signet. yeah, her, it was the signet. That's what it was called. She had said to him, yeah. <clears throat> um, they needed a, their signet and they were talking into baby Yoda and what the perfect sign would be. And they were like, it's going to be the Mudhorn since he saved you from it. And you two are a clan of two now. He's like, and what? you were you were talking to me about getting a tattoo because we're just so close. We have such a great relationship. Yeah, we're best friends. But you had wanted to get a t- uh, matching tattoo with each other, and we were trying to come up with something. And we were thinking you wanted to do some quote from the Clone Wars, I think. Right? Yeah, there's a few from the Pong Krell arc, which is like another really great sequence of the clone wars we'll have to talk about at some point because i just love when like we talk about the clone wars and dad will like call us after and he's just like the clone Wars sounds really good it's like you guys talk about it a lot it's like yeah dude because it's the best yeah he won't watch though just because it's a cartoon no it's a shame yeah shame that he won't but the purpose of this podcast is to explain stuff like the clone wars to people like dad who Say it sounds really cool, but like when we tell him to watch, and he's like, "Yeah, maybe not." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you had thought of some of the quotes that were at the beginning of the Clone Wars episodes, and then we were trying to think of some other things. But I was I was watching The Mandalorian one night, and I I remembered seeing the armor saying to Mando, the Mudhorn, you're a clan of two. And immediately I was like, oh yeah, this is oh, definitely yeah. what it's going to be. But not a rip on our parents. They're still around and they love us very much and we love them. But like, yeah, that's, the, that's the case with everyone. Yeah. It's just like, okay. Like everyone loves their parents, but there's that. It's like the brother chemistry. You can't, you can't match it. It's the brother complex. Nobody know. Nobody understands. Regular folks just don't understand. Regular folk just do not understand it. But hopping into today's podcast. What are we, what are we talking about? What's the, what's the big thing? Well, the big thing, there's a couple big things going on, but we finally got a trailer for the new Sony Marvel Universe, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. And this movie has been postponed, I think. At least once or twice now. I feel like most movies have been postponed once or twice because of COVID. I see. I think so. But I also think before COVID had hit, it had gotten postponed. 
there is there's been a couple other Sony Marvel Spider-Man universe movies that have been postponed like Morbius. I think Morbius has been postponed. I read yesterday. I think it has been postponed five times and it was oh, getting yeah. postponed before COVID had even happened. And it was just it's supposed to come out like two years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, the trailer dropped for it so long ago. We'll talk about that later after we get into the Venom trailer. But it's just crazy. But so we finally got the first trailer for Venom to Venom. Let there be carnage. And I've only seen the Venom movie. The first one I've seen it once. I was around when it came out. I it was a good movie. I wasn't blown away by it i was just like oh yeah this is cool there was three really dope scenes in the movie that i liked but that was about it yeah because i didn't see it i haven't seen it yet and i want to go back and watch it after watching this trailer because we'll talk more about the trailer but like yeah i never saw it because i heard people were like either like like the movie was just like meh and it was like yeah it's okay it's not the best but like there are some parts of it that are really good and then there are other parts of it that are not so good and i was like Eh, I don't know if you really want to watch it. But after watching this trailer, I'm like, okay, you've piqued my interest in this Venom <laughs> universe. It sounds awesome. So I probably have to go back and watch it at some point. Well, it's interesting because the the Sony universe is not related right right now. It's not related to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Marvel Studios movies because Sony and Marvel Studios are their own separate properties, but Sony owns Marvel characters. It's a whole ordeal, but it's interesting because they've made now, this will be, this will be the second movie that they make that doesn't feature Spider-Man. And with Morbius, that'll be the third movie that they make that doesn't feature Spider-Man. So Morbius will even come out. I well yeah I, I think it will come out I don't think it'll be like X Men oh what was it uh, oh the, New Mutants New Mutants that's that's what it was called that one that movie was supposed to come out in twenty two thousand yeah twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen because I remember Michael and I were talking about going to see it when it came out because we saw every Marvel movie together while we were in high school. And it just never came out. And they finally released it on streaming. And I remember it did fine for streaming. But I don't think Morbius will have the same thing just because of implications Mm -hmm. that have been shown in the trailer for that. But so with the Venom trailer, I'm not as familiar with Venom that much. I know him from the comics. I know he first shows up in Secret Wars. I know Eddie Brock was. Can you explain what Secret Wars is real quick, just for like the people who don't know what Secret Wars is, or like just, like just what it is? Yeah. So Secret Wars was. I'm more familiar with the most recent Secret Wars because they've done it twice, but I'm going to do my best to recollect the first Secret Wars. But I remember Secret Wars was some sort of universes colliding in the Marvel in the Marvel comic universe because they had made so many different storylines and so many different comics with their characters where it was becoming incredibly difficult to follow. So, and comic book companies do this a lot. Marvel's done it a lot and DC has done it a lot, but they need to do something where they hit a hard reset button so it's easier for the stories to converge and start fresh so again. So it's not just like a mess. Of- yeah. Plot lines everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, DC did the same thing with um Flash and when he did Flashpoint and they started uh, the new 52, which mm-hmm. was its own problem. But so Marvel, this was back 
oh, I couldn't, I could not tell you when this happened, but they hit the hard reset button when they did Secret Wars because they were mm-hmm. introducing new storylines that were easier for readers to engage in. And in the Secret Wars comic, Spider-Man comes across a symbiote, which is later known as Venom, that takes hold of him and sort of brings out his worst impulses and the worst version of himself, of Peter Parker. You mean like dancing around in a black suit down the streets of New York and (laughs) messing up his hair and looking all funky like in Spider-Man 3? (laughs) That was not one of the better interpretations of Venom, but... I don't know what you're talking about. It looked pretty cool to me. We'll leave that. We'll leave that one up for debate. I, yeah, not the biggest fan of that. But so that's what I remember Secret Wars from mostly. But so the Venom, I'm not, I'm not as familiar with Venom just because I, there hasn't been, there's been comics about him, but I've never bought them to read them because he's never been one of my favorite characters. I think he's interesting and I think he's dope. But I don't know a whole lot about him. But that being said, I was familiar with a fair portion of things that had shown up in the trailer. And I just wanted to talk about a couple of the main things that I had seen from the trailer. One of the first things that we see in the trailer was Patrick Mulligan, which I do not know why I know him because he is a very... I have no clue who Patrick Mulligan is. Yeah, exactly. He's a very lower name character, but the only reason I know that is because he is the host of the symbio toxin. And you're probably at this point very curious because I've now listed two symbiotes, one being Venom, the second being toxin. And in the first Venom movie, there was also Riot, who was another symbiote. Jeez, so please. it's a whole thing. I, If I remember correctly, I think they came from another planet and it was these weird, goopy alien things that were just latching onto people bringing out the worst impulses but patrick mulligan we've seen the trailer and i don't know if he's going to be the symbiote toxin in the movie if they're just going to start having all these different sort of venom symbiotes with venom carnage and toxin i think that would be a little little messy and fairly cluttered during the movie but we see him so i thought that was kind of cool i don't really know what's going to happen with him in the movie He might be, I don't know if they're doing a Venom 3, he might be set up for the third Venom movie, or he might be set up for something different. But another thing that we see in the trailer that was fairly big news to me was we see a news article that has the Daily Bugle headline. And the Daily Bugle headline has something that looks like it says Avengers Nightmare on it. I am uncertain by seeing this if it actually is going to have the oh, I'm trying to think I'm uncertain if it's going to intersect with Doctor Strange 2 and the Multiverse of Madness when they start to get all weird and go into different realities with that and if the Doctor Strange 2 implications are going to take place with Venom 2 because I think that's That'd be interesting. That'd be a cool concept because it'd be a great way to start tying in the the different Sony Marvel universe that currently exists. But I'm not I'm not quite certain yet. But another thing that was really cool with the Daily Bugle logo was it was very very reminiscent actually of Sam Raimi's Spider Man. 
and J. Jonah Jameson from J.K. Simmons is very reminiscent of his Daily Bugle. And that's leading people to start making predictions and theories that this may be in the same universe, actually. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. Give me pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> I think I think he was the best part in like all three of those movies. J. Jonah Jameson is the best part of pretty much any movie he's in. Or J. Jonah. I call him. It's J.K. Simmons. But yeah, he's he's the best part of any movie he's in. Oh, he's fantastic. Whiplash, he's amazing in. Oh my god, you keep telling me to watch Whiplash. <laughs> it's, a, it's a phenomenal movie. He's amazing in the cartoon or anime. I don't know which which one it's called. He's amazing in Invincible. He voices Omni Man, and <laughs> he he's on the same level as Sam Witwer voicing Maul. It's it's an incredible performance. But we see. I would be super interested if it actually was the same Daily Bugle and the same universe as same Raimi's Spider-Man, because we talked about Spider-Man 4 last week and we just got this trailer yesterday. Yeah. So I, I'm i really curious what they're going to do with this. It may just be a cute little reference and tease that they're just like, oh, Daily Bugle, this is kind of similar, but... I have my fingers crossed that they're actually going to sort of commit to having it in the Sam Raimi universe because I know that they did Venom before and they're now making a Venom movie, but I think it'd be interesting and cool if they were able to find a way to tie it in. If they were smart, they would, because if you, after like seeing the re- re- reaction that um, the Snyderverse got from the fans, like I think studios would be stupid to not follow director's visions like that because like looking at like if you can draw in the hardcore fan base of like the snyder fans like this is amazing this is amazing like this is awesome people watch like oh this is a lot better than what i thought it was You're like in snyder cut like the original justice like oh this is this is a lot better than that or like even with like like everybody remembers like spider-man 3 being super corny and super bad but like spider-man 2 and spider-man 1 were really highly regarded at the time they came out because it was like this is the really first like good superhero movie anybody had really seen so mm-hmm. i think they'd be foolish to not like because they already had like why would they recast like their own spider like why would they recast spider-man when they have toby Maguire and sam raimi working in the marvel sphere like i think it'd just be foolish of them to not set it in the same universe like even like then like I don't know. I think it'd be foolish for them not to do it because they could, there could be a lot like drawback to it. Yeah. I, I don't know. I studios sometimes get really stupid because with Warner brothers and the whole Snyderverse just completely being deaf to the fans and blind for what they want. I wouldn't be surprised if Sony did the same thing because they've been known to do that before. So I don't know. It's interesting. I don't really know what's going to happen with it, but those are some of the major things that I had seen from the trailer. And while it was cool being able to see Carnage and the way that his symbiote looked, it was dope. I'll see the movie. I think it was a really good trailer. It's not my most excited movie that I'm looking forward to, but I think it's 2021. Yeah. Because what else is coming out out this year? Oh, geez. We have Black Widow coming out, which 
I don't care about that movie. (laughs) That has its own problems. It should have been released long ago, but whatever. I have no interest in Black Widow. Sorry. It's my hot take. Yeah, I I have my own thoughts on that as well. But there's Shang-Chi then that also comes out in September. Oh, that looks cool. I'm really I'm actually really excited for Shang-Chi because I'm curious on how they're going to redo the Ten Rings and the Mandarin. Because yeah. I remember people were all angry at Iron Man 3. It's like, oh, this was dumb. But hey, I'm Trevor. <laughs> yeah, I I loved Iron Man 3. So I don't want to listen to what the fans have to say. Yeah, Iron Man 3 is good. No, I like the trailer, too. I really thought it was really cool. Like seeing like how Eddie Brock and the symbiote like interact with each other, like in the beginning of the trailer, like the symbiote's making all of this food and Eddie Brock's just trying to like make coffee and like he's making a mess of his apartment and you can just hear him just singing the, the symbiote singing the song and like his voice. I don't know what the song is. He's like singing some song and then Eddie Brock's chilling there. And then like you see Eddie Brock walk in morning, Mrs. Chen. And then you hear the symbiote go, good morning, Mrs. Chen. He's like yeah. symbiote says hi, or like in like Mrs. Chen's like good morning Eddie, good morning Venom. <laughs> like, good morning Mrs. Chen. <laughs> it's so, I, I think I think it's hilarious because, well, that was one of the better things of the first movie is seeing the chemistry and the dynamic between the two and seeing them start to bond and try and work together. So that's what I'm most looking forward to with this next movie. Yeah, it's um. I just I don't know because I never watched the first Venom so like I didn't think like it when I watched the trailer for the first Venom compared to this one like the first Venom didn't really seem to have like a set vibe and like this trailer had like a set vibe like this is going to be kind of wacky kind of campy but it's like still like it still takes itself seriously Mm -hmm. because like they're CGI crazy monsters gonna duke it out in the end but like it's still taking itself seriously but like it still has like the it still jokes around with like the symbiote just like grabbing stuff and trying to eat the dude in the hall. I don't know. It's like, as you see this head come out of Eddie Brock's shoulders and wants to eat the head. Cause like the symbiote's always hungry. I don't know. Yeah. I think it's it, funny. No, it's, it's amazing. And there is, I, I don't want to spoil some of the funny jokes in the first Venom movie for you, but there you is, can, I, you can spoil it. It's, it's my fault that I haven't seen it by now. No, I I won't say because I I'd probably do a terrible job at trying to recreate the story, so I'll just I won't redo it. But there's there's a lot of great moments of just seeing their dynamic and chemistry trying to work because obviously it's it's sort of similar to Blue Beetle and Young Justice, where only Eddie can really hear the symbiote oh, in his yeah. head. So it's like people are confused, like who are you talking to? We need to eliminate the enemy Jaime Reyes no I'm not killing them they're my friends like who are you talking to he's like yeah everyone's just looking at them like what eliminate eliminate the target Jaime Reyes (laughs) for those of you who haven't seen Young Justice highly highly recommend it oh you're missing out so good top top two cartoon of all time behind Behind, Clone Wars behind Clone Wars but of course but so, yeah, the trailer was really, it was just really campy and fun. I liked it. I'm excited to see what the movie has to offer. It comes out mid mid to late September, I think. So I'm excited to see yeah. what they have in store. Woody Harrelson, I liked him in the trailer, too. I think he's, because I don't know anything about Carnage. He seems like a madman of a character. But like I think Woody Harrelson will play him pretty well. He seems 
quite unhinged in this trailer. So, yeah, I know his name is Cletus. Cl- so okay, well, any guy named Cletus, I'm kind of expecting some wild stuff out of. <laughs> yeah, Cletus is not a very common name. I apologize to all the people named Cletus. Out yeah, there, if anybody's listening named Cletus, often, but so. like, I'm sorry you're named Cletus. But I mean, you, you could be a really nice person, but it's just a bummer because it's there's such a stigma around the name. It's a it's a it's great. It's, okay, I'm just gonna stop talking about the name Cletus right now before we get canceled <laughs> by all the Cletuses of the world. By all the Cletus, there's a Cletus Association canceling our podcast. <laughs> but. I, I don't know if you know this actually, but Andy Serkis is the director of the movie. Oh, I just remember that. I saw that in the notes. You like had Andy Serkis, and I was I've just been watching Lord of the Rings recently with my roommates, and like I'm like, oh my god, Andy Serkis is the best. And so when I saw this, I was like, oh my god, I love anything Andy Serkis because we love him when he plays obviously Gollum in Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, but when he plays Snoke in Star Wars, oh my, oh god. my gosh, I love uh, him as Snoke. Oh my god, he's so good. But yeah, Andy Serkis has got some serious acting chops and I'm sure he's got some good directing chops because like Venom is a mocap character, I believe. And Andy Serkis is like the godfather of mocap. And mo- I mean, mocap is motion capture for those who don't know. That. So like that's like when they have all the like the little foam balls on their body and like they run around and like the first person to really do it was Andy Serkis when he played Gollum in Lord of the Rings. So like and I don't know, he's just like an actor's director because like he's acted however long and. So he's he definitely is going to pull good um, performances out of Tom Hardy and Woody Harrelson. He also I don't know if you knew this, but he also plays Caesar in Planet of the Apes. That's right. Dude, see. Oh, my God. The Planet of the Apes movies. Those are great. God, they're so good. Honestly, like, well, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk about that later, but. We have so many movies we need to talk about on this because I feel like every time like something cool comes up and like we don't want to completely fly off script like i'll oh, we'll talk about it later but we just don't want stuff we need to talk about yeah we we gotta write it down and sort of set dates for when we want to talk about these things but yeah. yeah andy circus is the director for the movie and he he's let out a statement saying that venom is in his own world and they're currently unaware of any other characters at this point like spider-man so I read I read that and I saw unaware at this point. Yeah. So I was like, hmm, maybe there's a maybe there's a little room for I think Spain. I think Toby. I think if there's a here comes back our betting man. If I were a betting man and it's not in the stock market because I'm not good at the stock market, but I think we would see Toby Maguire in either this movie. He see him in a minor cameo. To, at the end to get people all riled up or we see him in the next Venom movie. I, so that's what makes it interesting because you talk about Tobey Maguire. When Sony released a year or two ago, I don't remember when they dropped the trailer for Morbius. We see a couple snippets in the Morbius trailer and we see a poster actually of a Spider-Man in the background of the Morbius trailer. The Spider-Man poster is very, very close to Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. When I say very close, I mean it's like concept art pulled straight from the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. So it's interesting because I don't know if the Morbius movie is taking place with the Venom movie. Because if it does, it adds another slew of problems to the movie because... 
if Tobey Maguire would be in that universe. There's also another character would be in that universe who was in the MCU. And that's Adrian Toomes, the Vulture, who was in Spider-Man Homecoming. So that presents more problems of itself. Yeah. I, I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a bummer. They got to deal with all of those people. <laughs> I, I've been tearing my hair out trying to just make a theory of how it's even going to happen because I don't know what their plan is with Venom, Morbius and Spider-Man three, no way home, the new Spider-Man three, because they have so many different things teased and set up right now that I don't, I genuinely have no idea what direction they're going to go because part do a hard reset. I feel like they are going to do a hard reset because I don't know when Tom Holland's contract expires with the Marvel studios. And if you might just switch on over to the Sony universe, but I don't want to see Tom. I don't. Yeah, I don't. He just doesn't seem to fit the vibe of the Sony Marvel universe from the limited stuff I've seen. Yeah. Sony not to rip on Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and Spider-Man three, but they, their track record of their last three Spider-Man movies haven't been the greatest. I don't mind Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man. No, I don't mind him either. I think he was good, but the story and the script and just this whole screenwriting of it, it wasn't really that enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it could have been better, but I don't know. This is, it comes back to the age old problem of studio meddling in director affairs. Exactly. It's frustrating, but I mean, what can you do about it? Cry. We could complain to the studio like the Snyder fans that didn't get the Snyder cut, even though. Which kind of is a nice segue into our next topic of uh, some uh, new DC news. So speaking of the Snyder cut, we there's been that whole movement for release the Snyder cut, release the Snyder cut that went on for ever since ever since Justice League came out. Joss Whedon's Justice League came out. Everyone was saying. We do not want this movie. Please release Zack Snyder's Justice League. After years of that, it finally got released. And that was about a month and a half ago now where the movie came out. Almost and, two months ago. Yeah, almost two months ago. We're getting close to it. But surprising to a lot of people, it was actually a a very good movie. If I, I liked do say it. myself. I liked it. I, I loved it. I thought it was. I watched the movie and this is what we were talking about earlier. Studios need to stop getting involved with directors and their creative vision at times. They need. I mean, to if it's having... a bad idea, like yeah, and they make okay. Listen, like let's calm down here and kind of stick to the stick to the literature, son. But like, let's not get too crazy because like Zack Snyder had some pretty wild ideas for some of the Justice League. And even like we, you and I, read, we're like, oh, this is, I don't know if that would have been any good. Yeah, it's similar to like George Lucas, where his ideas for the sequels, we were like, yeah, yeah. this isn't good probably a good thing you didn't do this oh they could have come up with something better than what they gave us but (laughs) yeah yeah zach had some pretty outlandish ideas but for the most part for what his movie had in it Mm -hmm. it was very good and it's frustrating because the the snyder cut justice league or i don't know zach snyder's justice league that's what it's called officially the movie was well received by i'm pretty sure audience 
everyone loved it in the audience. Critics, I don't really know how the critics received it, but I could really care less how the critics receive it because I think the fans are more important than the movie critics because and a the, lot of the, the critics are pretentious about some of their takes like it is too long and uh the mechanics of the storytelling uh, not that good and some of the dialogue is it's like dude shut up exactly if you're complaining about because i would rather a movie be long and good instead of long and bad and that's what the snyder cut was it was a long good movie because all the characters had time to be developed and the story was interesting enough to where i felt invested in it yeah, but one of the best characters of that is getting replaced. Well, one of the main characters, I wouldn't say the best character in the Snyder. Cut. No, he's not the best. No, he's because he was hardly in the movie. But yeah. we're speaking of Superman right now. Henry Cavill, Superman. Cal he, he started the whole Snyder verse, I think is what they call it. He started the whole Snyder verse with Man of Steel. But it seems like now Warner Brothers is trying to hit reset button again and they're trying to restart their cinematic universe peace out peace out henry cavill it's it's a bummer because henry cavill i think for what the snyderverse had and what he was trying to accomplish i think it fit really well i think he was trying to do a more grittier darker tone on super yeah like a realistic realistic take on him because like Mm -hmm. like when in the man of steel when you see him like you see little tiny clark kent who's like freaking out because he's like x-ray visioning through people and he can hear everything going on he's like what is going on he's like locked in a closet so like even from the beginning of the snyder like the whole snyder verse in man of steel you're like oh this is like this is real this isn't just like superman being like oh i can jump over my family's grain silo out on my farm in kansas it's just like no it's like this is real yeah it it felt it felt grounded and what the world would actually be like if Superman not grounded, but it felt it felt more realistic for what the world would be like if Superman came to Earth. But Warner Brothers doesn't really care about that anymore because they're hitting the reset button. There's been a lot of rumors and reports going around that they are casting a new Superman and they're looking for an African-American lead to take the role. And they're also looking to have a black director helm the movie, which I think is great. Superman has been black before. He's been in Earth. But that two. wasn't Cal El, was it? That was a different. Well, so it gets weird because in the Earth Two comics from the New Fifty Two, I think he was called Val Zod, but mm-hmm. he still he still He's had Super- the title of Superman mm-hmm. on Earth Two. So, and I think his alias was still Clark Kent. Okay, so I. I could care less if Superman is white or black at the end of the day, as long as it's a good character. I think that's all that matters. We had the same discussion last week when we were talking about Marvel, where she was a woman and I said I didn't like her because it was just a poorly written character, not because she was switched from a male to a female. Yeah. But along with Superman, I could care less really what the color of his skin is, as long as they do it well. Yeah. And I'm not, I think Warner Brothers might, May, this is just me speculating and theorizing, but I think after they've seen how successful Marvel has been in having African-American African-Americans lead the superhero movies with Captain America and the Winter Soldier and Black Panther and showing how successful their movies can be when they're actually embracing their culture. Yeah, it's almost like they're actually trying to help a piece of 
huge portion of the population of America that they just have nobody's ever really done before because it's a bunch of a bunch of old angry white guys running studios like ah. Yeah, Superman it's... and they've always been white when I when I read the comic books, but it's like, oh yeah, it's like also there are other people who don't look like you and I that live in this country and <sighs> it's around crazy. the world. Yeah, it's almost like oh, it's, it's almost like a lot of superheroes aren't white, white or, or males. But yeah. I mean, yeah, it's like oh, it's, kinda, wow, how, oh, it's funny, funny how that works. It's kind of crazy. Works. <laughs> but I mean, I could see Warner Brothers seeing the success from Marvel and think, oh, we could we could do this because Superman has been black before and the earth two comics have been successful from what i've seen during the new 52 run i don't know how successful they are now but the thing that frustrates me though is the snyderverse has been getting so much positive feedback from the fans and people have been wanting him to continue his movies and they've been pushing at warner brothers to let him make justice league two and three and finish up his vision And that's where my frustrations start to come in because they already have something good going with the fans with Zack Snyder's Justice League, where I'm starting to question, why would you try and completely meddle with something that the fans love right now and just say, we don't care about this. We're going to do what we want because it seems really disrespectful to me because Warner Brothers also kind of said F you to Zack Snyder when he was still making his justice league movie because he wanted to use John Stewart, who is the green lantern Lantern, in his movie. And Warner brothers said, no, we should, we should point out John Stewart is not like the John Stewart of that. We know from the daily show. This is John Stewart is black and he's, he's the black green lantern from DC. So Mm -hmm. that's what we should point that out. Like this isn't like John Stewart, ripping from on the daily show yeah this is not john stewart from the daily show <laughs> yeah no john stewart the green lantern from dc comics who is african-american was actually the the actor wayne carr had filmed his scenes with zack snyder i think they were in like his backyard or in his driveway yeah they're in his driveway you can see the set photos of, like his driveway and then, like the house next door yeah it's it's crazy because he had done all of this within a year. He had filmed those scenes a year before the movie came out during COVID, which I think is, Zack I think Snyder's it's great such a gangster. I love Zack Snyder and everybody who works as Zack Snyder loves Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. Well, they had told him, they said, you're not able to film any new scenes. We're not going to give you any extra money. And Zach really? was just like, yeah, no, I could care less. And he went <laughs> and shot new scenes for the movie. So I think that's great. But one of those new scenes that he shot again was this John Stewart, but Warner brothers said, no, you're not going to be able to use him in the movie. And they wouldn't really give him a solid reason on why. And that's where I start to get frustrated because DC has a wide range of black superheroes, female superheroes, black female superheroes. They don't use them. And Zack Snyder was trying to use one of them in his movie. And Jon Stewart is very famous. Like he's He's been featured in the Justice League Unlimited cartoon, which was coming out back in the 90s or the early 2000s i think and he's in young justice he is also in young justice but you know who else is in young justice oh. martian manhunter who is also an african-american i think his name is i don't john john, john johns or well that's like his martian name is john johns but i think his name's like john john something 
Yeah. But like, it's yeah, just he's... some simple name. But yeah, because he's like, I don't want to. He's like, well, if you're going to make me pull a person of color from this movie, I'm going to replace them with another person of color. Yeah, exactly. And because he Snyder's did it with G and he's awesome. Yeah. Which I thought was amazing because they should have had both of the characters in the movie because I think it yeah. would have fit. But I just don't understand what Warner Brothers is doing because they didn't even want him to use the Martian Manhunter in the movie. No. And Zach had said that he was very close to walking away from finishing out the movie because I'm they so wouldn't glad let he him. Didn't. I know I am, too, because it's <sighs> the guy who, for those of you who don't know or who haven't seen Zack Snyder's Justice League yet, the guy who played the general person general john in, something <laughs> yeah I, I don't remember what his name was but the person who played the general in man of steel and batman v superman who when he was on the phone and batman v superman and the president was like are there any casualties when we shoot this nuke at superman and doomsday there's that general guy who's like one casualty superman but that guy is the martian manhunter and he had known that he was going to be the martian manhunter in man of steel which came out back in like 2013 i think i remember we went and saw that yeah but we didn't know this back then so now a month and a half ago when we see Zack snyder's justice league we actually see that this guy is the martian manhunter so warner brothers is just completely tone deaf and could care less that Zack snyder is actually trying to promote having yeah. leads lead superheroes who are people of color and it's just like why are you being so dumb right now yeah, that's I don't know. It's just ridiculous because like <laughs> I don't even like I don't even like know where to start. Like when like just like the logic, like the logic of studios is a bot is it's this it's like equivalent to the logic of the Packers, the Green Bay Packers front office the last oh. few years. Yeah. That's a that's a whole nother pot. That's a whole nother different we could create a different show and talk about how bad the Packers yeah. are, but we could make a <laughs> completely different podcast talking about why the Packers are frustrating. Yeah. But, um but yeah, it's, it's they know because like they have all of these characters, they just don't use them. It's like, okay. And then you have a director who comes in and says, like, here, here is my like he's like, I understand we had a bad like because when the Green Lantern movie came out with Ryan Reynolds, it was garbage and ryan reynolds says it's garbage he even like went out of his way in deadpool to like has a post kind of scene to shoot himself writing the green lantern script and he's like he went out of ways like this movie sucks so i understand why they're nervous about it but it's like you have a director who's like i have a different green lantern who's not hal jordan the guy you saw in their green lantern movie it's like he's a different one. it's like oh cool who's this guy oh there's a black green lantern oh that's so cool it's like who is that? Like, because most people who see that aren't going to be like, oh, that's Jon Stewart. Like, their friends are going to be like, oh, that, like, you and I, if we're sitting next to, like, say one of my roommates who doesn't know anything about it, like, oh, Green Lantern's black? Who's that guy? It's like, oh, yeah, I know. That's Jon Stewart. He's a really cool guy. And they're like, oh, I want to learn more about him. It's just, like, yeah. <laughs> it's annoying and, because they've shown success with other characters who are black superheroes, like in Young Justice, Black Lightning. Black was one of the main characters. Awesome. He was three. he was top three character of season three of Young Justice because he had so much character development and you actually start to feel for him. Not as it's good as like, Forager though. Forager is the best character in season three. Yeah, Forager is amazing, <laughs> but it's just Warner Brothers. I feel like just doesn't know what they're doing. They're like throwing darts at a wall or like they're throwing stuff at a wall and seeing what sticks. It's just ridiculous. But that's 
that's their plan right now is to, or reportedly that's what their plan is now is to make a new Superman movie with a, an African American as the lead role and I think having cool. a black director, which I, I'm not it opposed to cool. seeing this movie. It could, no, think, yeah. That's just not, that's not the issue we have with it. It's just like the, the mishandling they've done with other properties. It's like, well, you don't need, like you, they can do this, which is awesome. Cause like you could have a whole different take on Superman instead of him coming from Kansas. He could be like raised in a city or something. I don't, I don't know. Something like mm-hmm. something like that is Superman doesn't have to be some farm boy from Kansas. Like he can be anybody, which is cool. Cause like this character represents hope and they say that. So that's awesome. And it's just like, how are we supposed to trust you handling this when you've botched everything else that you've like tried to set up? But yeah, it, like you had said with Superman growing up in the city instead of on a farm, it's the concept of Superman. You can alter sort of like where he grows up and certain aspects of him. But like the story and the development of the character is all the same, whether it is a white person or a black person, or it's a male or a female. It's this, it's the same sort of structure that the way you would develop a character. So it's, it's frustrating. Yeah. But with all that being said, there is a possibility if they do make this movie that it takes place on earth two, which we have mentioned a lot. Earth two is part of the multiverse. For those of you who don't know, there's a lot of characters and there's a lot of movies around the DC universe, which makes it complicated for people to try and keep up with it. But just picture Earth 2 as its own separate thing. There's characters on there who are doing their own sort of storylines. But we also have confirmation of something that's happening on Earth 2, which is the new Batman movie with director Matt Reeves, which I know you are incredibly excited to see. Oh, my God. That movie looks so... I've watched that trailer. The first... I remember the day it came out. I probably watched it about... 10 times the day it came out it looks so freaking good which is why i'm concerned like like okay so like say this superman movie takes place on earth too i just like this is this is what my concern is with like studios like warner brothers who've proven time and time again they don't know what they're doing they said like we're gonna have this 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 all going on at the same time it's like we did you need to make sure the batman comes out and does well before you say Oh yeah, our superhero or our Superman movie also taking place in that universe because like so let's say the Batman comes out and it's garbage. I, I don't think it's gonna be garbage because Matt Reeves did a really good job with the ape or the Planet of the Apes trilogy, the other movies he directed. And I think Robert Pattinson is gonna be an outstanding Batman, but let's say it comes out and it's garbage, people are gonna be like, Oh no, the Superman movie's coming in there too. Oh no, I don't wanna see that because the Batman movie sucked. Why can't we just it, like I think they really gotta like be careful about how they like set this up because like you can say like I, right now i just want to see like i'm kind of like sick of like super interconnected like universes like like i like mm-hmm. what i liked about the joker is like it just existed in its own little pocket like here's the yep. joker this is that movie it's not connected to anything else going on like i kind of just want to see the batman just like exist in its own little world and if it makes sense for like the superman movie to tie in and tie it in but like don't I don't want them to like just start tying stuff in for the sake of like oh we have to be just like the MCU because like once the MCU did it I feel like Warner Brothers is like just trying like and like DC is just trying to like do their own thing because like they shot Justice League out within like two years of like their shared universe starting and it's just like 
what it, like they killed superman off like right away it's like dude like we are like they're, they're just flying through it's like don't just connect stuff just for the sake of connecting stuff and just because it looks like marvel's going in like the direction of multiverse don't like connect everything right away just so like you can say we're doing the same stuff it's cool it's just like establishing your own like vibe like if superman fits into this batman like the earth 2 batman universe by all means do it but like don't do it just for like the sake of doing it that's just what i don't know that's my two cents on it but regardless yeah. i think i hope that nothing but the best for the super superman movie and i am beyond excited for the new batman movie I am as well. And as we were talking about movies getting delayed and pushed back, like with Venom and Morbius, this Batman movie has been, when I say this movie has gone through the worst pre-production hell on planet earth, I mean it because this movie, I believe was supposed to come back out in like 2017 and Ben yeah, Affleck yeah. was supposed to be in the movie and okay, it was supposed yeah. to have Deathstroke. And now this movie has completely changed to where it has it's like the long Halloween. Yeah. And it's, it's like the long Halloween mixed with year one Batman, I think. Yeah. And the guys, Edward, Robert Pattinson. I was Edward I was from Twilight. Yeah, yeah. Edward from Twilight. Robert Pattinson is now Bruce Wayne, Batman, and actually, speaking of Andy Serkis, we were talking about him earlier. He's actually Alfred in this new movie, too. Yeah. Nothing. I'm, yeah. Andy Serkis in anything I'll probably watch. Yeah. But I think that the Batman movie is going to be really good. And we're speaking of people of color in roles. Jim Gordon is also a person of color. And I'm actually kind of excited to see that oh as a new take because. Dude. I just love Jim Gordon. I love J.K. Simmons, who, when he played him for this very limited time in Zack Snyder's Justice League, I loved um, Gary Oldman when he played him in the Dark Knight trilogy. I was trying yeah. to think of his name. I forgot his name, but I don't remember this actor's name who's playing him for this one, but he looks like Jim Gordon just because he has that like rugged beat down look Jim- from Gotham City that just <laughs> it takes on you. <laughs> Working. It's like literally just, oh God, yeah. But, but I just, I get chills whenever he did in like the voice over the beginning from your secret friend. I'm like, oh dude, who is this guy? And then you see, find out it's Jim Gordon reading the, the the note that the Riddler left for Batman. You're like, oh my God, this guy, I don't know. Yeah. Excited, excited all around. All, we're all excited for the new Batman movie, but we we hope for the best with the new Superman movie and we obviously want the Snyderverse to be restored because we want to see his last two Justice League movies, but neither here nor there right now. It's not going to happen. Unfortunately. To wrap up for our day today, though, Cal, I was reading an article I saw Screen Rant do, a, it was a top 25 list of weakest to strongest Jedi. And what's their definition of weak and strong though? Because there, there, there are multiple interpretations of what that could mean. Is that like power with the force or like their ideals as a Jedi? I think it's just overall like rounded out as a Jedi. Okay. So I, they didn't really talk about it too much, but I thought it would be interesting if we would run through not the 25 because 
25 is way too much. And I think we would talk about it. We would talk about it forever, but I thought it would be fun if we just ran through their top 10 and then you and I, before we, before we read this article, I had texted you telling you to make a top 10 weakest, the strongest, most powerful Jedi. So we have, we both have our own lists and I don't know what your list is. I don't think you know what my list is yet either, but let's run through screen. I just saw your list. I mean, it's on the show notes, so I've seen it. Oh, unfortunately, but we can run through Screen Rant's top 10. Let's fire through quick. this one because I want to talk about your list and how, yeah, we, how our list compare. Because 25 on this Screen Rant list is probably the funniest addition I've ever seen to any rank oh, list. We'll mention number 25 just because it's a little bit of a... Coleman you gotta love Trevor. <laughs> Coleman Trevor, the dinosaur Jedi at number 25. He is the guy who... In the I don't know if any whoever remembers in Attack of the Clones when the Jedi show up to save Anakin Obi Wan and Padme from all the monsters in that arena. Coleman Trevor jumps down right in front of Count Dooku and turns on his lightsaber, ready to just save the day. And then Jango fetches pieces him up with his blaster. <laughs> just says, "Yeah, not today. Sorry." Yeah, Coleman Trevor had a whole ten seconds of screen time and he died. <laughs> R.I.P. the goat. R.I.P. the goat. But that was number 25. But we're going to start at number 10 now on the Screen Rants list. So number 10 is Luminara Unduli, who she was featured in the Clone Wars a fair amount. And I think she was in Rebels for like half a second. But she's fine. This number garbage. I I don't think she's a number 10 most powerful Jedi. She sucks. You and I have talked at length about how much Luminar sucks. Yeah, especially after her, what she had said to the Martez sisters or the Martinez sisters in that god awful Clone Wars arc. But yeah, she I don't think she she cracks even the top 15 for me. No, looking at people who they have in the list, like at 13, they have Ahsoka. That's blasphemy. I don't know who wrote this article. Yeah. It's kind of frustrating, but note that this article did come out in 2019, so it may not be up to date with the current. It may it is not up to the current date no. of the Star Wars canon, but it's just frustrating seeing that because even if I was making a list in 2019, Luminar still would not be in the nowhere top near it. Yeah, but coming out at number nine, then we have the the wacky. Is Dude. it Moncalamari? Uh. I think he is. Yeah, hold up. Let me, let me, let me. We have Kit Fisto, though, one of the squid alien looking Jedis who was featured in. He had a very limited role in the Clone Wars. I think he was only in like one arc, maybe two. But then he was in Attack of the Clones and he was also kind of destroyed and he's Revenge not the Sith as well. He he's is uh, from Glee and Anselm, and he's not Holland, but he's. I just liked him in the Clone Wars because he's got a Jamaican accent. He sounds really cool, and he's like, I don't know. He's a cool guy. Everybody yeah, likes Kit Fisto. Kit Fisto is dope. I loved him just because he's swimming around in the water, and he he's just dope. I, I don't get how you can't love him. At number nine, I haven't seen much of his powers or his abilities, so it's like, or his character. I mean, he's got a good character. Like from what you see, like in Clone Wars, he's got he's got like a good head on his shoulders. But can mm-hmm. we please talk about number eight and how this is the worst? 
<laughs> you can talk about number eight on this oh list. Oh my god, Kiati Mundi is rolling in at number eight. I, for those who don't know, Kiati Mundi is the guy with the really big head, like a really He's a tall head. head. He's a cone head. Oh my god, I hate this guy more. I I hate him almost as much as one of the other Jedi further like up on the or lower on the list here that we'll get to later. I don't hate this other Jedi. I just think that I hate Keanu Mundi. He is so rude to Anakin all the time. People are like, oh, why did Anakin turn his direction? I don't know. Maybe it's because this guy's so mean to him all the time. <laughs> and he's always just like, oh, well, we need to think about what the Republic needs. It's like, you're a Jedi. You are not a elected representative. Ah, he's the worst. I, mm, I, can't st- I cannot stand Keanu Mundi. I think he's... Every time he shows up, he's always rude and he's always saying some stupid crap. And everybody, and like every time, like a, he opens his mouth, I'm like, "Shut up! Nobody wants to hear you talk right now." I can't. St- I mean, oh, I, I, oh, I can't stand him. I cannot stand him at all. Not a big fan of Kiati Mundi. Number seven. I don't really know what they're doing putting putting him at number seven, but Anakin Skywalker coming in they at number seven at on number this seven. list. He's not. I will say this before we get into my list, which. We will after we finish up screen rants, but he's not number one on my list, but I do not know what they're doing putting him at number seven because he is way more powerful than a couple more of these Jedi that they have ranked up on this list. And he's definitely, in my opinion, more powerful than number six, who is Qui-Gon Jinn. I love Qui-Gon. There will be no Qui-Gon Jinn slander right now. I love (laughs) Qui-Gon. I'm not going to slander on Qui-Gon. Qui-Gon was way ahead of his time with the Jedi Council. He was decades ahead of his time with the Council. But I do think Anakin is more powerful than him. But I think Qui-Gon is one of the pinnacle pinnacle Jedi that you can look yes. at. You can't yeah. really hate on him too much. Yeah, and he taught the argue, the arguable goat and Obi-Wan. So, and Obi-Wan's awesome. So he's kind of got to he must have gotten something from his time with Qui-Gon. Exactly. Number five. I'll let you take this one. This is another controversial view I have. Number five is Mace Windu. And I am one of the very, very, I'm in a very small minority of people who thinks Mace Windu is a terrible Jedi. And everything that he stands for, he is a terrible Jedi. Listen, Samuel L. Jackson rocks. The purple lightsaber, super cool. Was Mace Windu my favorite Jedi when I was like six or seven? Yes, he was because he was so cool and he was jumping around. He's super powerful. But when you look at Mace Windu as who he is as a character, he is an awful Jedi. He is he is the meanest person to Anakin all the time, which like should be fair because Anakin's like this dumb kid who's always doing stupid stuff. But like Mace Windu is always just like he's like, take a seat, young Skywalker. We have we are sending Obi-Wan on this mission. Skywalker, quiet down. You are being too irrational. It's like, dude, you are so rude. And he's always talking about like the Repu- like he and Kiati Mundi the same come from like the same vein. They do not follow the will of the Force. They're not like they're not being what Jedi should be in like like promoting like promoting peace and stuff. Like he, he like it's it's ironic because he's like he's like we are keepers of the peace, not soldiers. Even though Mace Windu is arguably the most militaristic of all of the Jedi in the Jedi Order, which is I have to think George Lucas did that on purpose. I can't believe I'm the only one who's seen this like the entire time. I'm like he sucks. He's awful. But he was like, Oh, Mace Windu is so cool. Mace Windu is so cool. It's like, that's fine. You make you can think he's cool, but he's a terrible Jedi. He should not be at number five on this list. He's not nothing even was, on my list. No, he's, he's not. Even, I don't know if he's on mine. He might be, but nothing was more frustrating than 
when watching the Mandalorian and everyone was like, Oh, who's the Jedi? Who's the Jedi? Oh going to take Grogu. And everyone's like, oh my it's God. Mace Windu. Dude, you and, and, you and I, I were both just like, like, what are you what? all talking about? You guys are smoking crack. If you think Mace Windu is going to show up in the Mandalorian. Oh yeah. We everyone, have to, we'll talk about Mando at a different time, but like, Oh my God. Yeah. Number four. I, I don't know how I feel about this, but Obi-Wan Kenobi coming in at number four. I, Obi-Wan's my favorite Jedi out of the whole Star Wars universe. I don't know how I feel yeah. about this. I I think he's more powerful than he is ranked on this list because of what he's done. He's fought Maul so many times and he's I'd say he's been victorious in all of those fights against him while Maul has beaten him like mentally and I still feel like Obi-Wan. I don't think he's ever defeated. I don't think he's ever defeated Obi-Wan mentally, which is why I think Obi-Wan doesn't have the most power on this list. He is like, however, like he is the most like mentally toughened Jedi out of everybody on this list. Yeah, we'll get to that when we hop on over to my list. But I have thought I I don't really agree with Obi-Wan at number four. Number three. Yeah, this one is where it gets a little gray. I kind of agree with it, but I also don't just because of where other people are on this list. But number three, we have yeah, we have Ray. So people hate. I I love Ray. I know people. I love Ray too. But I think she's a great Jedi. I love her. There's a there's a big difference between a character that I like and bad writing and. Ray did not have the best writing, but I still think she's a good character just because I love what she represents throughout the sequel trilogy. And I think she's a great Jedi. I really, really want them to make a solo series or a limited series like with the Obi-Wan show about Ray, just focusing on her, like developing her powers more as a Jedi, just because it's been such a short period of time where she's been a Jedi, but she's coming at number three on screen rants list. It's a little gray. I don't know exactly how I feel about it. Number two, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, he, I guess he, he deserves it. He deserves I, it. I can't disagree with it. And at number one, again, I can't really object too much to it. Yoda. You can't you can't really go wrong with putting Yoda at one. I feel like. Yeah, you could. I mean, my list is going to shake up some. My, my list is going to shake some trees, but. Well, that was Screen Rant's list for the top 10. Now, I wanted well, to do my top 10 list before we get into yours because you've been hyping yours up. No, my, let's not hype it up, but let's just go back and forth. So let's do your number 10 and then I'll say my number 10 because right now we have the same number 10. <laughs> okay, that's perfect, actually. Yeah. So, well, then I'll let you introduce number 10 because you're more familiar with her. I still haven't finished the story, but... Okay, so at number 10, Will and I both have um, the Jedi Avar Chris, and I am willing to bet nobody listening to this knows who this is, because you and I, I think, are the only people that I know who've read the new High Republic books that just have um, that have recently came out from uh, Delray Publishing. And Avar Chris is the main, like, lead Jedi. Um, I don't think she is, the, I don't think she's the Grandmaster of the um jedi order at the time but she's on the jedi council she's like a prominent member and she plays a huge role in the book um the light of the jedi which is the first high republic book that came out which i you and i are huge i'm a huge fan of i really love that book I really good story up, but she does she's such a good like 
And like, I just like, I, cause my list is based off of like ideals of a Jedi. It's not like power because I think power is really subjective. Like with certain Jedi compared to others, because like Avar Chris has this ability to like, it's like, it's called, I think it's like battle meditation where she like links all of the Jedi's minds mm-hmm. together. So they know everything is going on at the same time. It's really cool to read. Cause like they can like feel each other, like from everywhere, like on like their the little battlefield in space up to their spaceships yeah like their jedi on the planet she can feel like and then all the way up to like in the spaceships dealing with the great disaster which we'll probably have to talk about the light of the jedi at some point because that's a good book and the next book comes out in about a month and i've already i've had that pre-ordered since i finished the last book back in january i need to finish up the book i think i'm on like chapter 22 or 25 right now Mm -hmm. i don't know how many chapters there are i think there's like 50 maybe it's a good read it's a quick read it's not like no it's it's, the thing is i i love star wars so i enjoy reading it yeah and i think the higher public is i think it's a great way to just like start exploring new stories for star wars yeah because you don't need to know anything about it which because like you like there's there's literally been nothing ever about it before so like i like you don't have to like know like the clone wars or anything you can just show up and read it and you're like oh this is a really cool story um, the only character that shows up like that you hear about is Yoda and because mm-hmm. Yoda's not because of how, yeah. how old he is. Otherwise, there's everybody's a new character. Ava Chris, is, she's like really level headed. She's just like embodies what a Jedi should be at the time as a Jedi of the High Republic. So that was really good. Um, she has a before we go. She, what's that? Do you remember her goaded line that you and I had both said? Um, It was something that was like, uh, oh, it's yeah. When they're like sort of spoilers but a planet's being bombarded with these completely random debris coming out of hyperspace hyperspace. yeah but the the planet needs help and the jedi are at this point in time keepers of the peace so the jedi pull up and we hear the we hear but in the book it says this is jedi master abar chris help us on the way and you and i were just like oh, i get chills hearing it right now like, i was getting oh. chills just now and like i know it sounds so dumb but like i tear up hearing that because yeah like, i do the too. jedi the jedi uh, at this point in time they represent exactly what they should be yeah. and they should be helping out people in the galaxy that's what they are so he, reading that line i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna cry reading yeah it exactly i was, I was so happy my fist and that was only like on chapter three. So Avar, because I remember I texted you right after that. I texted you I'm like I am only like 20 pages into this book and I am already just like partying, like pumping, tearing up because like this book rocks. This is an awesome line. You're like, all right, I'll have to read it. And then like I gave you the book whatever weekend you came down to visit me. And then like I got a text from you like a week later. You're like, dude, I think I found the line. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a great line. If you haven't read the book, highly recommend. You don't need to know anything about else about Star Wars. Yeah. But Avar Chris at 10. Do you want me to do nine? Yeah, because I have the same number nine as well. <laughs> Perfect. Look at that. We're pretty, pretty good at connecting. Number nine, Ben Solo, Kylo Ren. I prefer Ben Solo because that's the Jedi version of him. Yeah. We see a very limited version of him as a Jedi in episode nine we sort of see it in episode eight the last jedi where he was training with luke but it's like for one scene and it's luke sort of reading his mind but in episode nine when kylo makes a turn from kylo ren back to ben solo and steps back into the light we sort of see his powers that he has and like how powerful he can actually be when he's using the light side they don't really develop much on it though because when he goes to fight palpatine with ray he kind of just like 
chucks hey, yeah. he yeah. chucks him down a hole and that's about she it clowned on him pretty hard yeah which frustrates me but he made very short work of the knights of ren and he was also able to bring ray back to life when using his force heal with her yeah so i think it warrants him to be at number nine i think i've always thought this but yeah the dark side you see oh they get all the cool powers and they're so no badass but you are way more powerful when you're on the light side as a jedi in my opinion yeah i think because yeah i think you're you have this based off power because i had ben solo at nine because there are other characters that i think i don't know he he's gone through so much people like think about it you're like this kid who's the you're the son of leia organa and han solo regardless but you're the grandson of luke skywalker and your uncle is luke you're the grandson of anakin skywalker Mm -hmm. your uncle is luke skywalker you have in like luke skywalker starting a whole new jedi order after return of the jedi we haven't seen this yet and you and i've talked about how we want to see a series with ben solo like the beginning of like luke skywalker's academy with ben solo of them just going around the galaxy doing stuff together but think about the amount of pressure on your shoulders like Mm-hmm. It's like being the son of like LeBron James or Michael Jordan. People are like, like Bronny James right now. It's like the the amount of pressure on his shoulders. But like obviously like LeBron James or whoever didn't try to kill him in his sleep because yeah. <laughs> he read his mind to think it. But like they, they think about like this kid, like he's been trying so hard. He's trying so hard. But like he starts hearing Snoke in his ears like, hey, everybody's really like expecting greatness out of you. You should come over and hang out with me. Come on. Uh, they don't trust you. Your uncle doesn't trust you. He knows you're really powerful. He sees you. He sees it in your training and he's like, no, 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 my dad's a, or my uncle's a good guy. My uncle's a good guy. And then and then you see it. Then he like he wakes up in the middle of the night with uncle standing over him with a lightsaber on. And he's like, what is going on here? So I don't know. He I don't, I really like Ben Solo. You and I both like I Ben Solo. Him. I think he's very strong with the force, but we haven't really seen much of him as a Jedi. So it's hard to put him higher than nine, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So number eight, I assume this is where I list our lists start to. They diverge fairly quickly. So I'll briefly talk about my eight. Mace Windu, he's just a brute force as a Jedi, I think. He goes to town in the Clone Wars against the droid army, and he held his own against Palpatine. He was the longest person to fight him in Revenge of the Sith. The other three or four Jedi kind of... (laughs) got they, they died right away yeah so <laughs> the, i i don't know what they were doing but mace windu i think at eight is a fair ranking because while he is a lot of raw power with the force and with his lightsaber and just overall as a jedi i think he's not able to focus it enough and sort of sort of be balanced and like fight gracefully as a jedi i think he's just more like brute attack combat mode so I think that's just why I have Mace Window at number eight. Yeah. Um, I have a different Jedi at number eight. I have another Jedi from the High Republic. I have um, Jedi Master Elzar Mann. Um, actually, oh, he might be a Jedi Knight. But um, he is um, very good friends with Jedi Master Avar Chris, who, we were, who was our number 10. They hinted at a r- romantic relationship at one point in time between the two of them. Um, I liked him a lot in the book because he, he's very similar to, I, he reminded me a little bit of Anakin Skywalker, but he's also just like, 
he, he tinkers around with the force. He tries to use the force in new different ways to accomplish things. And like other Jedi think like, oh, that's like, you shouldn't be using the force like that. He's like, well, I'm using it for a good purpose. It's not like I'm abusing the force for my own personal mm-hmm. gain. He's like, I'm using it to like help other people. And if he can do it with like, if he can do it in a new way, like that's like more efficient or like more creative, he likes doing that. Um, he also sees like, cause all the, like they talk about in the high Republic book, how all Jedi see the force as a different thing. So like, Avar Chris, our number 10 on the list. She sees the force as a song, like as like no like notes and tunes being played. And like if something's out of whack, she has like she thinks about that, like what's going on over here? And then in the song of the force, she finds something going wrong on a planet or something. Um Elzar Man sees it as like an endless bottomless sea. Um, always like churning and moving, and like he's just trying like to maneuver his way through that sea of the force and just try to figure out how to use it, which I think is super cool. Um he's always like trying to do the right thing. He's like, he's always like jump into actions. Like they need help. We need to help them right now. Like this isn't, this shouldn't even be a question of how this looks like politically or whatever. Like these people are in, like, they need help. And I, I'm going to go, we're going to help them now. Otherwise I'm going to go do it myself, which is, I don't know. I really like that. And then Jedi. It's, so that's what a Jedi have. should be. Exactly. And he's, yeah, but he's, I think he's, he's kind of emotional because he's definitely into Avar Chris and she's definitely into him. So I don't know. But he's got some really cool powers. I don't really want to spoil the end of the book for you because there's some there's pretty, pretty cool stuff that goes down. I'm excited to finish the book. But number seven, I have Qui-Gon Jinn. We, we don't see much of him, but I think Qui-Gon, when we see more of him, because I am almost certain that he is going to appear in the Obi-Wan series. Oh, and yeah. I think we're going to see more of just him not combat, but just as a Jedi and him speaking with Obi-Wan. I think from what he represents and how far ahead of his time he was, I talked about it earlier. He is one of the, there's the top three Jedi who just represent what a perfect Jedi is. And the other two are later on in this list, but he knows what it means to be a Jedi. He's not trying to like get political. He's only concerned about helping the people who are in danger. And that's what a Jedi should be. In my opinion, the way that he uses the force is sort of just like, like you had said, it's not to abuse it with, uh, Elzar man, but I love Qui-Gon. I wish we got to see more of him, but I, I feel like just because of the limited scenes that we've had with him and him only being, because he was the main character in the Phantom Menace. There's no one else that we really follow in the Phantom Menace. I feel like, I feel like the Phantom Menace, if you had to give the story to someone, it's him. I yeah, think that you could he, argue Anakin, but like that he's kind of such a mind. Like you only meet Anakin after you follow Qui-Gon to Anakin. Yeah, I think Qui-Gon just overall is a very well-rounded Jedi. And unfortunately, he is kind of cut short after the very first movie. So I can't put him higher than number seven, I feel like. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Um, I do not have uh Qui-Gon at number seven. Uh, I have Ray at number seven. Um, just an all around good character. I mean, I liked her a lot in the movies. Um, mm-hmm. she's just always a shining light of positivity. Um, uh, I, I can't rank her any higher just cause like she never really hit a point where she was like really like questioned outside of like the whole Palpatine thing. Like you're a Palpatine. She's like, Oh, I killed Chewie. Cause she exploded a, 
thing with full of light, like with the, the transport with lightning. It's like Chewie's dead, but then Chewie wasn't dead. And then it's just like, I don't know. I like Ray a lot. She goes through stuff and like seeing her like in The Last Jedi, like find out like her parents were nobody who they should have been. They should have been nobody. They should, she should not have been the granddaughter Palpatine. And I will die on that hill. Nobody can tell me otherwise. Ray should have been a nobody because it has such a better meaning than her. Ah, all right. Not getting into that. But um, yeah. I, I don't know. I like Ray. She, but I like, I wanted to see more struggle out of her. Like Obi-Wan can like, I'll, I'll talk about Obi-Wan later. Cause obviously he's higher on this list, but the amount of struggle she like faced and like remained committed to as a Jedi is so much less than like other Jedi on this list. Mm-hmm. So that's why I can't put her anything higher than number seven. At number six, I have Ray. Ray Skywalker. It's very close to what you had. You had her at seven. I have her at six. I loved Ray in the sequels. I, I'm not going to hide that. I think Ben Solo was the best character in all the sequels, but I have Ray higher because I do think she's more powerful than him. While those two together are their dyad in the force and two that are one, they have an immense amount of power that hasn't been seen for generations. If you just single them out one-on-one, I do think she is more powerful just because of the power that she comes from where she is the granddaughter of Palpatine, which, yeah, that works. But she's also been trained by Leia and Luke. So I think that sort of adds more to her light side potential and how strong she can be with the Force. She was the first, well, this is not true because Grogu was the first Jedi that we've seen to Force heal, but she... I just love everything about Ray. She, you had already said it earlier. She's a light of positivity when she's on the planet Pasana in the rise of Skywalker. I just, I love her moment that she had with that little. Alien oh girl yeah. That was really awesome to see that scene really made me happy and it warmed my heart because I always talk about what a Jedi should be. And she's just such a wholesome loving character where I just, I love the power that she has and what she represents and she knows her potential, but she also knows the boundaries that she has to create for herself when she realizes that she's a Palpatine, when she fake kills Chewie, but she thinks she actually kills him. I love her as a character. I think that she has a lot of potential and I really want a series devoted towards Ray, whether it's a book or a TV show, but Ray comes in at number six for me. My number six is um, Anakin Skywalker. Um, Anakin Skywalker is arguably the most powerful Jedi ever, but I think you and I, we constructed our list a little differently here. I didn't, I did not do mine off par. I did mine off the ideals of a Jedi, but I have Anakin Skywalker at six because when we meet him in Phantom Menace, he's this, this little kid is like, Oh, people should just help each other. He's always just like doing, he's like, people need to help each other. Da, 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 da. And he's like, he tries to help Qui-Gon and, Padme when he meets them a because he thinks Padme's an angel and B um he sees like Qui-Gon's in need and he wants to help which I think is awesome and sorry I'm, I'm watching you type right now <laughs> yeah I just made a quick change <laughs> yeah I saw because that, I'm I saw thinking that change. About it. um I saw that change um and as you see like we see him develop and grow older like he wants to help Padme, because you and I l- lose our mind laughing every time we see this in Attack of the Clones, because oh like Padme's God. life is being attempted on, and 
Obi-Wan says when they get to her apartment, he's like, we will try. We, he's like, we are going to protect you, but we're not going to launch inve- an investigation. And um, Anakin immediately is just like, we are going to try to find who killed you. Who's trying to kill you, Padme. And Obi-Wan looks at him. He's like, what are you talking about? Anakin's yeah. like, we need to help her. Also, he's, I don't know. And then like Anakin kind of, you can d- debate whether Jedi should be able to form attachments with people like romantic attachments like Anakin and Padme, but or not. I think they should because like Anakin's the prime example of like what happens when you tell them they can't because then he like loses his mind trying to protect her, but he can't and he can't ever come and tell people that. We'll, um, we'll save that what it means to be an actual Jedi because I have thoughts on that as well. Yeah. But. Um, And then him coming back at the end in Return of the Jedi to save his son Luke because he's like, this is my blood. Like I need like I have done yeah. so much wrong in my life like this. I need to write this one last thing. And then he chucks Palpatine down the the shaft and then we find out in the end it doesn't even really matter because you know it's just ancient cloning and Sith magic is just going to bring him back and undo still alive, still alive that's great it's whatever but yeah that's why I have Anakin Skywalker at number 6 number 5 for me is Luke Skywalker I know this is going to be incredibly controversial when I say this but my favorite iteration of Luke Skywalker is the last Jedi version of Luke Skywalker. I'd argue it's probably mine as well. I think his character arc in the last Jedi, everyone says, Oh, not my Luke Skywalker from the last Jedi. I know Caleb and Jack are molding right now that I'm saying this, yeah. but I'm just going to quickly go through this. We've don't been quickly going... go through it. Explain it. Cause I'm about to say the same thing when I list him next. <laughs> Luke Skywalker in the last Jedi he understands how just frustrating it can be when so we see him sort of reading ben solo's mind and seeing that everything that he has created he's made this jedi order and he sees that it has the potential to fall completely it's going to burn down ben solo is going to ruin it that's what he sees in his head while this isn't set in stone yet while snoke is still sort of meddling with his mind luke has this moment where He's looking down at Ben Solo and he has his lightsaber ignited and he's about to strike him down because he's afraid of what Ben Solo can do and how he's going to ruin his Jedi order. And everything that he loves so much and everything that he's created could just shatter immediately. But this is where my frustrations come in because Luke Skywalker is allowed to have a moment of doubt, especially in this moment. Exactly. You see in the movie, he looks down at his hand, exactly how he looked down at his hand in the Return of the Jedi when he's, when he's about down to kill his dad. When he's about to kill Darth Vader, he was going to town on Darth Vader and he realizes he looks down at him. And like you said, that's his father. That's his blood. He loves him. He wants to bring him back to the light. He looks down and he says, no, this is not the way to do it. That is the same exact Luke Skywalker that we see in exactly. The Last Jedi. He does the same thing with Ben Solo. He looks down at his hand and he realizes that this is not the way to do it. Now, unfortunately, Ben Solo, he he's not privy to Luke's thoughts. He doesn't see this. So it's just frustrating that people say that. Now, throughout The Last Jedi, no. then we see Luke trying to like cope with him failing Ben Solo and trying to like come to grips that he's not the Jedi that he thought he was. But the whole point of The Last Jedi is to talk about failure and how great of a teacher failure is. So we see Luke sort of do the goat Jedi move in 
all of Star Wars, where yeah. at the end of the movie, he sacrifices his life to buy time for those who are going to like bring help to the galaxy, to the resistance. And he did he, it in a peaceful manner, peace ex- and purpose. He ex- he did it the way it was meant to be done. He wasn't even there fighting with his lightsaber. He was just doing it to buy time and sort of just not taunt Ben Solo, but just to say like, I'm sorry for everything I did to you. And there's nothing I can do to change that. And I think it's just, it was a beautifully done scene. I also have other problems with Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi, but I yeah. think his char- he's, his character in The Last Jedi is my favorite iteration of him. Now, throughout the original trilogy, in A New Hope, eh, he's whatever. Sure. Yeah. In Empire Strikes Back, watching him fight Vader while Vader's throwing those boxes at him on <laughs> Cloud City, I'm like, okay. And I thought I was uncoordinated. I was like, you idiot. You can't swing your lightsaber at anything. But I do think Luke is super powerful. Another, I know you haven't played Battlefront 2, the campaign, but another favorite version of Luke Skywalker of mine is he has a campaign mission in the Battlefront 2 storyline. And he works together with an Imperial officer. And it's sort of a weird combo because he's an Imperial, not an Imperial officer. He's part of Inferno Squadron, which is a stormtrooper group. But he works together with him because he's like, that's what jedi do they help one another and you were in need and you needed help so that's what i am here to do that's why i love luke skywalker i just think he's a very well-rounded jedi and he just he knows his abilities he knows how strong he is but he has a difficult time sort of just like reminding himself of what it means to be a jedi but luke skywalker comes in at number five for me all very good reasons um i do not have luke at number five i have him higher one one spot higher than number five at number five i have yoda oh yeah this is is where it starts shaking the trees um i think yoda is a great jedi perfect like damn near perfect jedi in empire strikes back and in the last jedi when we see him in a little in a little bit we see him in return of the jedi but he oh. is not his whole the whole time like he's really what the Jedi should be. He's like, oh, young Skywalker. Oh, I don't know what she's like. Oh, we need to. You're too old. Da, 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 da. He's like. I, it's I don't know. I think in the prequel trilogy, Yoda is all falls into the same camp as. Not in the same camp, but the same camp, but not as extreme as Mace Windu in the um Kiati Mundi. He is too focused on the Republic and what the Republic needs and not what the force is telling him to do. So that is my issue with Yoda in the prequels. However, I think he's honestly I, my top five is like it's really tight between all of them. It's not like there's a huge gap between five, four, three, two. Mm-hmm. I think one is a clear choice and there's no other there's no other person who should be at number one than who I have at number one, but like five, four, three, and two are all very similar. Um I but I think I just always go back to Yoda. Um, oh, I keep changing my list now as we talk. I keep changing my list. We'll get there though. Okay, um, I think yeah. you were talking about Yoda though. I think Cosmonaut Variety Hour describes it best in his talk about the prequel trilogy. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll let you impersonate what Yoda says. He's, he's like the entire prequel trilogy. Yoda's like, oh, clouded by the dark side. I am. He's like, come on, I'm Rand. I need some real plot elements instead of you being like, oh, clouded by the dark side. We are. It's like, it's like, dude. But I mean, listen, Yoda in um, Empire is like peak Jedi when he's like, luminous beings are we not this crude matter? Which is like perfect. It's like exactly what a Jedi should be. It's like we are more than just our powers and who we our physical forms we inhabit it's who we are as like people and like as our spirit which i this is why i love yoda it's not number five is not a bad ranking right now i just have i i feel much stronger about other people further up the list in their place i would love to have yoda if i was a jedi i'd love to have him as a master this is not saying i wouldn't i think he's a great jedi i just don't think his character like he did like he and obi-wan obi-wan's higher up on this list but not where i not where you think he is um they develop as care like they develop and they see their flaws, but they aren't true to the they aren't true to the values they end at from the beginning, which is like fine mm-hmm. that they develop into it. But it's like it shows you that they're manipulative. They, they were kind of manipulated by Palpatine's web and like also just like the dogma of the Jedi at the time of following political values instead of their own spiritual values of their. Well, it shows how even like Jedi who are held at this high standard can be flawed. Exactly. Exactly. That's what the, that's kind of what because like, yeah, that's what Obi-Wan that, I guess that's what Yoda and Obi-Wan kind of stand for in the prequels because they see like, oh, we were wrong. We need to change with these times. Mm-hmm. But I'll let you. Run. Well, so speaking of Jedi being flawed, I the most flawed Jedi out of all of them, in my opinion, Anakin Skywalker, number four, he we see him go through the most conflict in mostly the prequel trilogy because he doesn't really have a whole lot of arc in the original trilogy. Well, we see more of it in return of the Jedi, but Anakin Skywalker comes at number four, just because I talked about brute strength, Mace Windu, Anakin Skywalker is just, he's the chosen one. He's, the he's, he's so incredibly powerful. Everything that he does with the force, with his lightsaber. I don't remember what his, uh, his combat style is exactly. Cause I know there's different combat styles. But yeah, the way that he fights is he's always on the offensive. He's incredibly powerful with the force. He's not as knowledgeable with the force, though, as other force users, I think. But I just think with his like overall power and abilities, it makes him a number four spot. With Anakin, though, in the Clone Wars, we see more of his conflict. There's a specific scene that I remember, and it's when Obi-Wan is talking with Anakin about how he used to harbor feelings for his love, the Duchess Satine from Mandalore. And he's sort of relating it to Anakin as he's struggling with uh, Padme as she, I think she was in prison from the banking clan from Rush Clovis or something. But Anakin at this point doesn't, hasn't, nobody really knows that Anakin is married to Padme, but Obi-Wan I think is the only person who really knows and Captain Rex, but Anakin says to Obi-Wan, I understand my responsibilities. And it's just like, Anakin doesn't know like the fine line between, between being like a Jedi and like having his emotional life because he just gets too focused in trying to save one person where he kind of forgets like the bigger picture of everything where he's like, Mm -hmm. I don't understand the ramifications of my one action and how it's going to affect the whole, like, yeah, how, how the ripple effect is going to, 
create the whole galaxy when I make this one choice. But Anakin at number four, I feel like is a fair ranking. Well, I have um, the son of Anakin Skywalker at number four. I have Luke Skywalker. Um, You've basically said everything I wanted to say about Luke, but there is another thing I wanted to point out how Luke is like how we, we didn't really, we don't really see this, but like in the comic books after return of the Jedi, I haven't read them, but I've seen like snippets of like Luke's parts and it's just how he's describing and like it's similar to Anakin because so Luke's there's this set the scene like this Luke's on his Jedi temple he's training some people and there's this girl at his Jedi temple who is not as strong with the force as Ben Solo and she's like how how come I'm not strong ever I'm never going to be strong with the force as Ben Solo and Luke Skywalker says he's like being strong with the force initially doesn't dictate where you'll end up being he says the force is like a doorway for some people the door is open really far and they can get like they can kind of get through and see the bigger picture like the door is like the the doorway of getting into like unlocking their potential some people the door is a lot smaller he's like ben's doorway is a lot bigger than yours given who he's with but even though your door is even though your doorway cra- is a little is smaller cracked open than his doesn't mean you're not gonna be a good jedi he's it's like he said he's saying it's like it's also meaning like you are gonna appreciate the time you put in to becoming a better jedi than those who like are naturally gifted. It's just like athletes, like athletes who are naturally gifted right away. Don't appreciate the skill that they have mm-hmm. unlike someone who's like, isn't as naturally gifted in it right away. And it takes them longer time to like, and more of a grind, to like get good at their craft and like develop those skills because they know what that grind feels like. And they know when they encounter like hardship, they're like, Oh, I can get through this. He's like, this is, he's like, this is your test. Like, this is like a test of you as a Jedi. It's like, just because you're not good at it right away doesn't mean you need to stop and quit because it's easier for other people than you, which is why I love Luke Skywalker for that. Um, it's a shame we didn't really get to see more of that in like, um, I guess like TV shows or movies because we only saw young whiny Luke Skywalker in the original trilogy. And then we saw grumpy old man Luke Skywalker in we, we sort of see in between Luke Skywalker in that, though, with the Battlefront 2 campaign and in the Mandalorian, the limited the very limited time he has in the Mandalorian. That cameo in the Mandalorian. Oh my God. You and I were both very vindicated seeing that scene. Very, very vindicated because you and I were calling that from the start. They're like, talk oh, about that later. <laughs> that, that can be, yeah, that can be one of our pre recorded episodes for next week when we talk about Mando. Maybe. Um, we'll see. Yeah, that's all I have to say about the son of the son of the goat. So now we're into our top three. Number three, I, I've been changing my list sort of as we've been talking. So. This is my solid locked in three characters now. At number three, I have the Grandmaster Yoda. You said almost everything I wanted to say about Yoda. The one thing that I think that you missed about Yoda, but you sort of basically said everything about it. In The Empire Strikes Back, my favorite line from yoda in all of star wars and one of my favorite line in star wars in general is for my ally is the force and a powerful ally it is i think that just it is the definition of a jedi strength because he talks about like crude matter and lightsabers and like how none of that matters how when you have the force your your power is tenfold it's just once you learn to master your abilities and sort of just like focus on what you're trying to do you can become sort of i don't want to say unstoppable but like 
it's just it's difficult for me to put it into words on how powerful you can be but that's my favorite line from yoda and i think in the prequels he sort of is misguided with the republic versus the confederacy war that's going on but we sort of see as he like sort of realizes that qui-gon was on the right path towards the end of the clone wars he has that great story arc with uh, the will of the force where he sort of is able to become a force ghost i think i don't remember exactly what that was called but we see him go on that journey where he realizes like how meaningless the war is and how important it is to sort of be a symbol of hope for the galaxy and people around the galaxy and what it means to be a jedi so i think him coming in at number three is a fair ranking as well but it's it's difficult just because he's so powerful and he's been alive for so long so it's we haven't seen his entire story yet in his entire like character arc, but from what we've seen from, I haven't finished the higher public, but from what we've seen in him from the prequels all the way through the sequels, I think he's a, a good number three. Yeah. Um, all right. So now we're entering my number three and I just like to preface these next three names by saying these are all gold standard Jedi stuff to live your life after. Mm-hmm. But at number three, I have my favorite character in all Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Ugh. And it's not a bad. OK. These top three Jedi and like the whole list I ranked on where they were on the curve of realizing what a Jedi's true purpose is, because like w- throughout the series, you kind of like see how the Jedi develop and like what they should like. What should we really be caring about as Jedi instead of what like we're actually doing so obi-wan he went through he went through the most i think any jedi ever went like the he has the most emotional turmoil and he stuck by his beliefs of being a jedi in the order he watched his master die at the hands of darth maul Mm -hmm. he watched the love of his life die at the hands of darth maul he did not kill darth maul out of anger he killed him out of defense and in Darth Maul's dying movements, Obi-Wan held him and consoled him as a friend. And like you and I've said, the greatest love story in any movie or any like piece of literature is Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Maul, because it is essentially a love story between the two of them and how they come together in the end. And like he forgives Darth Maul. He watches his apprentice turn to the dark side and he kill who kills everybody. Yada, yada, yada. He has seen all of that go down and he never, ever, ever strayed from the Jedi Order, which puts him as like, puts him, he puts him in my favorite character, but on, it, it strengthens his case as like the greatest Jedi of all time, which I don't think he is, but he, like these top, like I said, these top three, this order shifts in my head daily, but like when I wrote this last night, this is where I have him. I think I still have him here even right now currently even though i'm kind of thinking about it but it did take him a while because he and he and yoda in the same boat it's like in the siege of mandalore arc when we see this is this is what i'm pulling this out this is gonna be this is my justification for number two and where she is in this list in the siege of mandalore arc um ahsoka tano arrives on the venator or the republic venator class ship with um, Bo-Katan and the other Mandalorian saying, we've located Darth Maul, he's on Mandalore. Um, and she's talking to Obi-Wan and Anakin about this. And 
they're like, okay, we're going to, we'll, we'll engage Darth Maul. And before they're about to do this, the alarms start going off and they're like, General Grievous has invaded Coruscant. He has captured the Chancellor. And Ahsoka's like, the people on Mandalore need you. And they're like, well, we have to, and Obi-Wan's like, well, we need to save the Chancellor. You're not like, and she's like, I, she's like, well, no, I understand you and the Jedi Order are playing politics right now for someone who is more important, who needs power. The people of Mandalore need you because they are under the tyrannical rule of Darth Maul and you are going to go play politics and save the Chancellor. And he's like, I love he Satine. says that's not fair. He says that's not fair. And she's like, I wasn't trying to be. And he's like, because she's like, I know how much Satine meant to you. Why he's like, but Obi Wan's like, I he's like, I can't allow. But this is why I love Obi Wan for this line too. This argues this argument goes both ways. But he's like, he's like, Satine meant a lot to me and still does. But I cannot allow my emotions to sway my judgment, which is why he's yeah. a he's he goddamn. Says, he said she did and still, still does, does. But I can't allow my feelings to cloud my judgment. The exactly. council will decide. Which is the, which is the little hinge on the last part of that line which put him at number three for me instead of number two or number one because he's following the council and the council's political views that is why i have Obi-Wan kenobi at number three still my favorite character of all time he, it's not yeah. even close but we can talk about him and the whole siege of mandalore arc in very long depth on another yeah. date but i i don't disagree with everything you said at having of what you said with obi-wan because we both agree Obi-Wan is our favorite character in the whole Star Wars saga. But number two, I think we both have the same number two. Am I right? Yes, yes we All do. All right, perfect. Number two, you have to love her. She's a great original character. Dave Filoni did an amazing, amazing. job developing her from the Clone Wars. The most hated character to arguably the most loved character in all of Star Wars. We have Ahsoka Tano. And dad is probably like, now who's now Ahsoka Tano? Is Who this is from that? the Clone Wars? Is this from the Clone I, Do I, am I going to have to watch the Clone Wars? For those of you who don't know Ahsoka Tano, she was introduced in Star Wars The Clone Wars. And she was not very well liked when it first started out in the movie. We hated she was, her. <laughs> she was very annoying. But we won't go into detail about that. But as the show went on, she started to grow more on us and I'm I'm very happy to say that she's like a top three Jedi. I said earlier that there is three. Well, I'll save it when I get to number one, but she's just her time away from the Jedi Order when she leaves after the temple bombing in the Clone Wars. She sort of realizes and takes a step back like. What exactly is the Jedi Order and like what are their values and how do they sort of treat this war and the people? And we see that with the god awful Martina's sisters arc. But the one good thing that that arc had given us was we heard that their parents, the Mart- Rafa and Trace's parents sort of died in like some plane accident or whatever the hell it was. But we could care less about that. But Luminar and Dooley went to the Martina sisters and was like, oh, sorry, that's our bad. And then kind of just like left. So we were like, well, what the hell? These people just lost their parents. And the best you can do is sorry, my bad. (laughs) So it's just like, uh, but Ahsoka starts to like realize 
how important the Jedi are to the people of the galaxy and not just like to the politics and like sort of fighting their war. So when she goes off to Mandalore to help Bo-Katan fight Maul and save her people, we start to see more of like her becoming the goat Jedi. And I don't want to talk too much about the siege of Mandalore. I want to save it. But uh, towards the end of that arc, when she's with Captain Rex and order 66 is happening, pain, she is talking with Rex and the clones are going, their goal is to try and kill Ahsoka because she is a Jedi and Ahsoka makes one of the just heartbreaking but amazing decisions in Star Wars where she says she says to Rex, "You're a good soldier, Rex. So are all the all of those men." And she's like, "I'm not going to kill them because she knows that it's not them who's doing it. She knows it's their programming in their head which is making them do it." So her choice to save all of the clones and like willingly not kill them because of how true she is to her character and how she understands the depth and the levity of the situation elevates her character above so many other characters who would just like, screw it. I'm going to try and save myself. Yoda and Obi-Wan kind of were just like, screw it. We're going to kill all the clones. Yeah, they, they went, they went ham, but Ahsoka Tano just throughout her whole arc in star Wars is amazing. I loved her in rebels in her limited time that she had, I loved her in the Mandalorian. It made sense why she was hesitant to train Grogu because of what she saw with Anakin. So for those of you who haven't seen Clone Wars, I highly recommend watching it because you will understand why we love her so much. On Disney Plus, they have a whole section underneath Star Wars that says the essential Ahsoka Tana episode. So uh, uh, la, 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 la. The essential Ahsoka Tano episodes on Disney Plus. So if you want to watch those, they're all pretty good. They're pr- some of them might be a little kitty campy because, like, when it came up back in like 2008 when we were watching it, it was still very much a kids show. But by the end of it, it is not a kids show. Yeah. Um, when you get to the final arc, it's perfection. <laughs> but I just to add on to what you said when we first meet Ahsoka in the Clone Wars movie, everybody hated her. She was an annoying little brat. Um, she goes to Rex and she's like, I'm a commander and you're a captain. He's like, yeah. He's like, that means I get to, I'll rank you. Right. And she's like 14, 13, yeah, 14. At the time. Yeah. And he's like, you may outrank me, but experience is everything in my book. That's fine. It makes sense at the time. Like, yeah. That experience, experience means everything to him in the siege of Mandalore. When she comes back onto the Republic ship and she's back on the ship and all of the clones are saluting her. And I'm I'm about to start crying while I'm talking about this. <laughs> They're all saluting her, and she's just like she's like they shouldn't be saluting me right now. And Anakin is like, it's like it doesn't matter that you're not like a part of the Republic anymore. Loyalty means everything to the clones. And I'm just like, I love that because like that's like because like she has that experience of like going through all of the battles with him, and they like she's standing alongside of the clones because like nobody was more of a champion of the clones than Ahsoka Tano, like a champion of the people. And that's why, oh my God, I love Ahsoka Tano. Mm-hmm. She's she's an amazing character. She's so well-rounded. Yeah, You have her at number two. I have her at number two. No disagreement there whatsoever. No. My number one, it may have been a little personal as well because of how much I love him, but Obi-Wan Kenobi. I talked earlier about how there are three just perfectly well-rounded Jedi and the diamond perfect 
gold standard, whatever you want to say, Jedi. It's Qui-Gon Jinn, Ahsoka Tano, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi is, he's the golden boy in the Clone Wars because of how much love they give his character and how much they add to his character and sort of how they provide more depth for his character outside of just the prequel movies. You mentioned it earlier, but we see him go through so much. He loses so much compared to anyone else in the Star Wars saga with losing his master Qui-Gon and trying to hold back. And like he does kill Maul. He sort of gives into his anger in that point in time. We see him like evolve and realize more and more of what it means to be a Jedi and how to save people. In the Clone Wars, we see him sort of get invested in the politics of the war. You mentioned during the Siege of Mandalore how he was conflicted on whether to go to Mandalore and fight Maul or whether to go save the Chancellor. And I mentioned the line earlier. Bo-Katan had said, my sister died something something. I thought she meant something to you. Obi-Wan loved the Duchess Satine. Darth Maul his goal from the beginning has been to torment Obi-Wan since he took everything from him. So the Duchess Satine was captured at one point and so was Obi-Wan and Darth Maul is just harassing Obi-Wan, taunting him. And it gets to the point of where Darth Maul, he says to Obi-Wan that his noble flaw is a weakness to him and that he should give in to the anger and give in to his hatred. But Obi-Wan says back to him, which Again, is one of my favorite lines from Obi-Wan. You can kill me, but you will never destroy me. It takes strength to resist the dark side. Only the weak embrace it. So Obi-Wan knows the fine line between being a Jedi and like giving into his anger. And it goes a step further then because Maul kills the only person Obi-Wan's loved sort of in a romantic way, which is the Duchess Satine. And it's just a heartbreaking moment. So then when Bo-Katan says to Obi-Wan... My sister died. I thought she meant something to you. And he says to her, she did and still does, but I can't allow my feelings to cloud my judgment. The council will decide. <sighs> Obi-Wan's such a true one because he loves Satine, but he also loves what he's devoted to. And he knows what the Jedi order is at that point in time where they were devoted to the war. So it's just, it's difficult for him to make that choice. And he's always trying to do the right thing, which I think is something you can't dispute. He's always trying to do the right choice and he's trying to make the right decision while you could say, Oh, he shouldn't have been invested in the clone war. Well, that's true, but people and planets were being attacked and raided during the clone wars from the separatist Alliance and from count Dooku. Well, he could have say he could have gone to Mandalore and helped save the people there. That's true, but the Jedi Order is also going to save Chancellor Palpatine when he was captured. So it's just it's difficult. He's always trying to do the right thing. But then not I'm gonna skip over sort of his whole fight with Anakin and why I love that. But in Rebels, this is one of the last things I'm gonna say for Obi-Wan. In Rebels, when him and Maul find have their final confrontation with each other. As, and as I said earlier, Maul, his whole goal is to torment Obi-Wan and just bring the most pain and torture to him that he can. So they're at their final confrontation on Tatooine in the desert. And Maul says to Obi-Wan, 
look what has become of you, a rat in the desert. And Maul is just solely invested on making this one person's life miserable and terrible and ruining it. And Obi-Wan says to him, look what I have risen above. He shows how elevated he is above this character who's only focused on anger and hatred. And Obi-Wan shows how he's just developed and become so perfect in focusing on helping other people, protecting Luke Skywalker and Tatooine, making sure that it didn't work, but he was trying to stop Anakin from having his empire rule over the galaxy. So Obi-Wan to me is just the most powerful Jedi of all time because of he knows how powerful he can be while he's living and he's currently in his physical form. But even post when he dies from Darth Vader on the Death Star, where he says, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. And it's true. He does. We're still waiting to see more powerful activities from the Force Ghosts, but he becomes more powerful. He speaks to Rey when she's having her conflict on Exegol, and he helps Luke sort of train while he's on Dagobah. So in my opinion, Obi-Wan is the most powerful Jedi of all time, and he comes in at number one for me. All very good arguments. <clears throat> I respect your list. I respect everything about it. I respect the people you have on the list besides Mace Windu. Mace Windu can burn in hell. <laughs> um, I know my who number, number one, one is, yep. is the master of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I have Qui-Gon Jinn as the greatest Jedi of all time. And some people think, why Qui-Gon? That's so dumb. He, you never really see him. What we see from Qui-Gon Jinn is everything you need to know that he is the greatest Jedi of all time because let me start off. Let me start off. Obi-Wan Kenobi says to Qui-Gon in the Phantom Menace, he's like, if you just listen to the council and went along with what they wanted, you'd already be on the council already. And Qui-Gon's like, I don't really care. He's like, I am devoted to the force and what the force wants me to do. I am not devoted. He's like, I like as a Jedi, you swear allegiance to the force and what the Force's will is, not what the Council says, not what any government says. Qui-Gon is so far ahead of the curve on this uh, over anybody else. Over Obi-Wan, over Yoda, over... Um, I guess that's, those are the really only two people. Or the only two people. The only person who is somewhat close to him on this timeline is Ahsoka Tano. And, that, and she's even like 20, 20 years, 10, 15 years removed yeah, she was- from that. She was like, if you're just looking at their age, she's like 17 years old by the time the Clone Wars ended. Yeah. And what I don't know how long it was because how old is Anakin in Phantom Menace? Like five, eight, ten? Ten. Yeah. And he's like, what, 19, 20 in the Clone Wars? Yeah. He's between like 19 and like 22. Yeah, so he's only a few years older than Ahsoka, which is kind of like when, when you think about it, it's actually kind of weird. Like he's not as old as you think he is. In the movies, I um, think Ahsoka was between. Someone said that she was between like the ages of like sixteen to like maybe eighteen, but eighteen is yeah. pushing it. I think she's like sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, so she is like the only one who's close enough. Like, even in the ballpark for this curve that Qui Gon was ahead of on, he's like, I follow the Force. I am not a soldier. I am a peacekeeper. I'm a protector. He's like, I live to further my knowledge of the force and protect the will of the force. I don't live to protect the Republic, which is like controversial. Like if you think about it, like, oh, the Jedi, we're in, we're in the center of the Republic. He's like, yeah, he's like, cool story. But like, I don't live to serve you. 
and he's the first Jedi to figure out what it takes to become a force ghost. And Yoda only that Yoda goes on after he hears from Qui-Gon on deck. was like, you need to go to, I forgot what the planet was, but he's like, you need to go here and learn what it takes to become, to transcend beyond the force and achieve eternal life. Qui-Gon Jinn also was the master of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan Kenobi is one of the greatest Jedi of all time. As we've both elo- so eloquently stated, he didn't just get that on his own. He comes, he gets that from Qui-Gon Jinn. Qui-Gon was also the apprentice of Count Dooku. And he watched Count Dooku lose faith in the Jedi Order and move away. Qui-Gon took what he learned from Count Dooku. He's like, okay. So like Count Dooku had like a hand to play in Qui-Gon Jinn's development. Now, Saint, now Count Dooku isn't obviously a good Jedi at all. He's a Sith Lord because he goes and he like takes it to the extreme. But Qui-Gon's like, okay, what can I learn from this? What am I seeing around me? How do I need to progress forward? He sees Anakin Skywalker. He's like, this is the one I have heard of. I need to train him. I need to be a positive. He's like a positive father figure role in Anakin's the short period of time they're together. He's like, he is the father figure in Anakin's life. And Obi-Wan is more of the brotherly fatherly figure role. But like Qui-Gon is the essential father figure that Anakin sees in his life. Um, I like the, the real, I, lo- I like, I understand everybody's like, I can see people. I can already hear one of my friends, Riley being like, dude, how can you like, no one will ever convince me otherwise that Qui-Gon Jinn is the greatest Jedi by like, if you're going off of like the ideals and what it means to be a Jedi, Qui-Gon Jinn is like unequivocally the best Jedi. Cause he's never like at no point do you see him being like, Oh, I need to do. He's like, no, this is what we need to do because this is what the force is. This is what it means to be a Jedi. What a Jedi, like what you are right now, like, like the council is like, what you all are is not like what a true Jedi should be. I've said my piece. Qui-Gon Jinn is the greatest Jedi of all time. Well, to add to your point, Dave Filoni goes on that beautiful talk about why the duel of the fates is so perfect and why Qui-Gon is fighting for Anakin. Exactly. Oh, I didn't even talk about that. Cause like you see Maul, like in the duel, like in, when they're separated by that energy barrier, Qui-Gon is just meditating. He's at peace. He's just listening to the force and Maul is just sitting there like a caged animal pacing back and forth, looking at him, looking, mm-hmm. he's like, look at this, this guy's small beans. I don't want to, I don't want to, he's like, this guy's nothing. And Qui-Gon just sitting there, just, Zen, he is Qui Gon Jinn is like the I think of all of the Jedi you see, maybe outside of Obi Wan Kenobi, he is like the samurai. He is just like I agree. He is. Oh, I love Qui Gon Jinn. I love Qui Gon Jinn. He, I think he's the greatest Jedi of all time. Well, him like even saying that he'll train Anakin Skywalker when the Council is like, we won't train him. The boy is too old. It's like. Qui-Gon understands that he is the chosen one and he's willing to go beyond. And I could care less what you have to say. I'm still going to train him because yeah. this boy needs a father figure. Yeah. So, so nobody can convince. Yeah. That, I've said my piece. Well, we both said our pieces. We just did our, for those of you who like, oh, you guys can't talk about Star Wars that long. We've done this last segment has been like nearly an hour now yeah. talking about it. So, and we can talk about this stuff forever. We can talk about it for talk. probably about another hour. We said, oh, we don't want to get too much into the sequels. We don't want to get too much into the Siege of Mandalore. We don't want to get too much into the original trilogy. We could. We have episodes planned where we want to talk about these and just sit down and spend an hour and a half just solely talking about these things. So it's we love Star Wars more than anything. And you got to see just a fraction 
This of, is this is only like yeah. A fraction I, of the love that we have for Star Wars. Shout out to our grandpa. If he didn't show us the the Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes Back. Back, we would not be I don't know if we'd be invested as we have been. No, we would just been like normal people. No, we would have been normal kids. We wouldn't have been we would not we would not have started a podcast about all things in pop culture news, but mainly because we like Star Wars first. Mostly because we love Star Wars. But thank you for listening to this incredibly long episode of the yeah. Legionnaire podcast. We're getting close to two hours, but I didn't want to cut it short because we were having such a great conversation there. But for those of you who haven't seen it yet, we have a social media account on Instagram now. Our handle is at Legionnaire Pod. P-O-D at the end there. You can look us up. Give us a follow. We plan on posting. We announcing like when oh, we're going, like when we're recording, when episodes are being released. Yep. Potential trying, guests. Uh, potential guests. We'll try and put timestamps on there as well if you want to look for a specific point in the episode to listen. We got some things planned for that. Um, we're also planning on possibly creating a TikTok page. I'm not familiar with uploading videos and audio with that. So I'll have to get familiar if we want to try and grow a little more, but then we also want to upload to YouTube. So you guys can see our visual reactions to each other while we're talking, because for those I of you who face don't for know, radio. <laughs> a face for radio, for those of you who don't know, Cal and I are not in the same room recording these. He's over in his apartment in Wisconsin and I'm in my apartment in Minnesota. So we got a couple couple hundred miles between us while we're recording these. So Yeah, I really hope they can't hear the construction that's going on right now behind me because there's some really loud banging going on outside of the stadium. <laughs> some very, very loud stuff going on. But once again, thank you for listening to the Legionnaire podcast. We know this was a really long episode, but if you did enjoy, please share it with someone that you think would enjoy the podcast. And give us a follow on Spotify, the Legionnaire Podcast. I'm your host, Will. And I'm Callahan. We are Legion. I know some of you don't like that, and I don't care. <laughs> Told him not to do it, but he still did. I don't care. <laughs> Have a good one. See you around, fellas.